Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Montite. This time, responses to the outpouring of sexual harassment allegations. Is the focus on this aspect of women's lives empowering us, or just the opposite? You've become addicted to being outraged and angry. And there's some good to that, of course, right? But there's also some damage that, that's being done as well. But not everyone agrees. The notion of a space and a place and a platform for for lots of women to speak up about their experience, I think is a game changer. Coming up, two views on the reckoning over sexual harassment and assault. This morning I woke up to news of yet another TV host being suspended from his own show because of allegations of improper sexual conduct. If you live in America, you're getting used to this. Media men, entertainers, restaurateurs, politicians. We're hearing awful stories of the behaviour they've subjected female colleagues to over the years. And the men have got away with it because the women thought, I won't be taken seriously if I speak up. He's too powerful. I'll risk my career. Also, in many cases, they doubted themselves, as women so often do. They wondered if it was as big a deal as it felt. Now, after the Harvey Weinstein allegations, the stories are pouring out. And U.S. media law means it's easier for an American news organization to publish allegations without fear of being sued. In the UK, the laws are different. That may explain why fewer allegations of misconduct are being published there. Many of the accused men aren't denying the stories. Think Matt Lauer, Louis C.K., Mario Batali. They're apologising and retiring from the public gaze, at least for now. But others are disputing them and saying they're being tried and condemned in the court of public opinion. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But first, I want to read you this letter a woman wrote to the Chicago Tribune recently. The media's portrayal of women as victims does nothing to further their progression in the workplace. It suggests that we cannot advocate for or protect ourselves, which lends itself to the fallacy that we are weak and need looking after. The recent tawdry revelations of past incidents of sexual harassment are not representative of our society's workplace as a whole and should absolutely have been dealt with, but without creating this witch-hunt hysteria that the media is so delighted with. Strong, confident and smart women who know how to handle themselves and make decisions on their own should be the desired perception. The media's annoying portrayal of women as helpless is incorrect and does nothing to further the cause of equality. If anything, it serves to isolate them in the workplace. So that was her letter. I posted it to the show's Facebook page, asked some of you what you thought. One listener wondered how the writer could possibly know that sexual harassment wasn't widespread at work. 
Another pointed out being confident and smart have nothing to do with being able to fend off a persistent harasser. Others said coming forward was courageous, not weak. One commenter felt differently, though. She said the writer of that letter summed up her feelings quite well. And she said society was coming down too hard on some of the men accused of misconduct. She said, we seem to be picking up pitchforks and torches before fully understanding the full stories. I'd begun to think about that a bit myself. So I asked her if she'd talk to me about this, and she said yes. My name is Laura Linnaeus, and by day I serve as a director at a publishing company, and by night I am a fellow podcaster at the Harvard DigiPub podcast, uh, where we talk about issues facing the publishing industry. And I should add that I have an academic backstory as well. I taught women's studies in the past. Laura describes herself as a feminist. She's in her 30s, married, lives in a liberal town. But she says her reaction to the Me Too movement on social media and the torrent of harassment allegations in the press... It's different than a lot of her friends. And I should add, Laura told me she hasn't experienced serious harassment herself. I'm not excusing the behavior of perpetrators of sexual violence of any kind. But what alarms me is to see this mob mentality take over the discourse. Because the public outcry isn't one of careful deliberation, only coming to conclusions after we're hearing all of the facts. It's an immediate reaction to a movement. And I think that we need to be fair equally to both the women who are coming forward with their stories, as well as to the men, if they are saying, hey, there's more to this story, I want there to be a deeper investigation, then we need to look at it carefully. She says she won't necessarily disagree with the outcomes of those investigations. But I do think it needs to be a careful process. We're talking about ending, ending careers and changing lives, and that shouldn't be done on a whim or as a reaction. It needs to be thought through and logical. And it should be. But in that letter to the Chicago Tribune, the writer said women were being painted as weak. And Laura seemed to agree. I wanted to explore that. Coming forward has been quite a difficult thing to do. And they've kept this to themselves for years in some cases. I don't think of them as weak, but you think it... What is it exactly that you, you, may, you think makes us look weak, particularly in the workplace? Right. Something I, I do want to, to clarify is that I don't think it's necessarily weak to come forward and to talk about uh, past aggressions that have, that have happened. Um, and I do th- think that that takes a lot of strength. What I worry about is this overall language and this overall um, sweeping generalizations that this is happening to all women in the workplace across all industries and that all women feel like they are victims in this particular situation. And I do not feel that way. That is not my narrative. So I don't think that you can just generally say that that is, that is the case in the workplace universally. I'm not saying it is not the case in many, many situations, and they should be taken seriously. But I worry about solidarity in the guise of what's actually creating more polarization between men and women, saying women are the victim, men are the perpetrators, and the damage that that overall discourse could have on feminism. What do you mean by that? So, for example, there, there's a huge gap between assault and harassment. And then when we're talking about harassment, there's a huge range of things that that could imply. Um, groping is groping. That is, that is imposing yourself on another person's body. Absolutely 
there's really no gray in terms of grouping. Um, so I want to be clear that, I, that I'm not condoning that. But harassment does start to get gray when you start talking about language and the way that we have conversations and what might be considered appropriate versus inappropriate. This can be tricky when you throw in generational differences. I know I've overlooked comments from older men in the past, the kind of thing no one batted an eyelid at 20 years ago. They would have been considered a compliment. But in a different era, with more equality between the sexes, they sound, and I hate this mealy-mouthed word, but inappropriate. That said, I wouldn't equate those kinds of comments with sexual comments or someone touching or grabbing me. I see shades of grey here, but not everyone does. Laura says humour is one area where things can go wrong. Different people find different things funny or unfunny. And what troubles me here is I would hate to perpetuate the idea that women are delicate figures who universally condemn crude humor. I do not condemn crude humor myself. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't mean it doesn't bother other women, and their preferences should obviously be taken into account. But I do worry about whether this will ultimately further exclude women from the executive suite in the future. And and time will tell, but I don't like the idea of women being painted as these delicate creatures. Again, these are I'm not talking about grouping or anything like that, but in terms of, of harassment could mean a wide variety of things, and we need to do a better job defining what those are, iterating on the policies, and then acting upon those policies in a way that we're taking all of the nuances into account. Good luck with that, HR. Laura says if a man offends with something he says, it's possible he's just trying to be funny and failing. She says she's messed up herself at times. I have definitely made jokes that I've regretted at work and in my personal life. And then just like, oh, you cringe afterwards being like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. Or I read the situation incorrectly. And I think there needs to be room for error and for room for people to grow and to acknowledge the mistakes that they've made and then grow from it and move forward. And I just don't want to lose that feeling of compassion that really makes us human. But other women aren't feeling too indulgent right now. Maybe some of you read an opinion piece by the actress Amber Tamblin. It was in the New York Times. It was called, I'm Not Ready for the Redemption of Man. I'll link you to it under this episode on the website. In it, she said it was way too early to talk about the redemption of men when women are only just starting to have their voices heard after centuries of being ignored or disbelieved. She ends the piece by addressing men with the words, pick a side, choose us. And that's exactly the kind of stance Laura has a problem with, though a lot of her friends and colleagues don't. Some of the response that I've seen among extremely intelligent women who I have always respected is of the men are pigs variety. And I think creating this dichotomy, um, not to mention divisiveness, is troubling for the feminist cause because in the end it's collaboration and thoughtful discourse that will ultimately enable social change. We'll talk more about this with my next guest. She isn't so sure that's working. But Laura says the taking sides attitude, it doesn't work for her. She hates how divided America has become and how quick people are to jump to conclusions about others. She watched a recent exchange on Comedy Central when a female comedian said, men got us into this mess, women will get us out. And the man replied, sounds like you've got this then. It made her squirm. Women have been resisting overgeneralization for a century. And so why would we want to turn and then generalize men in the same way? So it seems counterproductive to say the least. And yet... 
Because we have been the ones for millennia who have just had to put up with stuff and put up and shut up, there is a feeling of, of, of sort of triumph at this time. Like, yes, we have a voice now that we didn't have before. We can talk about this stuff and people are actually believing us. And I, I think what you just mentioned is, is a sort of natural outgrowth of some of this, you know, I am woman and hear me roar kind of thing. It's true, but men men are still half of the population. And I, I, as a woman, I am very, I want to be an egalitarian. I want to be on equal footing with men. And I, I don't think it helps our cause. We actually alienate quite a few people when we make these sweeping generalizations. And I understand that the triumph, but there needs to be room for men in the conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I've picked this up from other debates we've had on Facebook around this topic. I think the feeling is we've been the ones who people haven't believed for many years. We've been the ones who, you know, people are skeptical of what we say. So now, you know, if things are a little unbalanced, oh, well, you know, so what kind of thing? Right. I I think what I'm going to echo Betty Freedom for a second. Um, These are problems with our social structure and both men and women are part of it. And we ultimately do need to work together if we want it to be a scalable and real solution. And if we're saying, oh, well, you know, oh, well, if the balance tips over the other side, I just don't see that ending well. It just doesn't seem like a productive movement. In a minute, we get a view on all this from Australia, where women at the top know a thing or two about a hostile workplace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Linda Betts lives in Melbourne, Australia. She's an organisational consultant, and as part of her job, she does a lot of work on gender equity and women in leadership. I found out about her through one of my listeners, who pointed me to Linda's podcast about women and work, Are We There Yet? I started by asking Linda, what's the landscape like for Australian women in 2017? Well, I think it is actually rapidly transforming and, and I'm finally at a, at a stage when I could actually describe myself as hopeful. But uh, I do think that for a long time there has been a very blokey culture, as it's described here, uh, sport, the domination of sort of uh, sporting, male sporting heroes in the culture and uh, a very sort of traditional uh, outback male type of image, where in fact, of course, most of Australians are, are very urban creatures these days and live in large cities. So things are transforming a lot, but of course, what's really been challenging is that that hasn't necessarily translated for women in the workplace. Including women at the very top. I'm betting a lot of you remember this, but several years ago, then Prime Minister of Australia, Julia Gillard, gave an impassioned speech in Parliament. She said she faced rampant sexism in her daily life as the country's leader, 
much of it coming from Tony Abbott, then leader of the opposition party. What the housewives of Australia need to understand as they do the ironing. Thank you for that painting of women's roles in modern Australia. And then, of course, I was offended too by the sexism, by the misogyny of the Leader of the Opposition cat calling across this table at me as I sit here as Prime Minister. If the Prime Minister wants to, politically speaking, make an honest woman of herself, something that would never have been said to any man sitting in this chair. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition went outside in the front of Parliament and stood next to a sign that said, Ditch the Witch. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition stood next to a sign that described me as a man's bitch. I was offended by those things. Misogyny, sexism, every day from this Leader of the Opposition. Every day, in every way. Linda says Gillard was sounding off about something many female politicians in Australia and elsewhere, have faced over the years a hostile attitude. There have been a number of women who had really, really been targeted, both by their opposition politicians, male politicians, but also by the media, and a really deliberate strategy uh, about uh, how those women were portrayed as leaders and, and really ultimately what led to their political downfall. So... I think it, it, it was both, you know, the media in lots of ways in the past has been very enabling of that and have participated in that. And so this was really a fantastic opportunity within Parliament to speak out. Even if Gillard didn't keep her job for much longer, Tony Abbott eventually became Prime Minister. Linda says the Australian media has been part of the reason why women in leadership get such a bad rap. So it's good to see women turning things around and using social media to talk about harassment and assault. I think it is one of the important things that social media has provided is a platform to 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 share it. And it's really the democratisation of this information. So previously your options were, you know, to go higher up in the organisation or to, to HR and a complaint. And, and I think the evidence is that has not led to results. So the ability now for women to take it directly public themselves, uh, I think, is is tremendously powerful, actually. And I, I think it really starts to shift things. If things are happening to you that are inappropriate, once you had very little options about who could you go to, who would believe you, there's the whole sort of legal situation around defamation. In Australia, it's very strict laws stricter than even the UK around defamation. So it's very difficult to sort of make any public statement in the past. But, of course, the power now is in the numbers. The notion of a space and a place and a platform for for lots of women to speak up about their experience, I think, is a game-changer. And it is. It is truly a revolution. But what about Laura's fear that a stream of allegations could contain some inaccuracies – and that painting the accused with too broad a brush could backfire. Is this going to harm workplace relationships between men and women? What do you think? Well, I think for a long time, women have... The approach has been, to, in terms of getting women to the top, to play by the rules, to work as hard, if not harder, than men, to be nice, to, to fit in, to not make a, a fuss, etc. And... And that worked for a small cohort of women, but actually it, it, it took its toll as well because it wasn't necessarily how they wanted to lead or work, etc. 
I think this is about changing the power dynamics. And I think it's, it is really an opportunity to fundamentally shift the power dynamics. Now, that won't necessarily be an easy road, but I, I think it is opening up a, a new conversation. So what's really been needed for a long time is, is are different options, a different paradigm about work and what leadership is. And I think hopefully this idea about shaking up the sort of very foundations of male power, I think it potentially will lead to more women being successful at the top, but also in new ways. For example, she says, we need more flexibility around who's in the office when, not just in certain progressive companies, but everywhere. And another thing. I see quite a lot of women who prefer to work collaboratively. They don't necessarily like a highly competitive environment. She says that doesn't mean they don't want to do great things. They just want to do them in a different way. But switching from the future to the present. In Australia, so far as you can tell, what is men's reaction to the Me Too movement and to all the allegations of harassment? Is there a a reasonable man response and an, oh, they're all a bunch of whiners response or what? I think there's probably only a small cohort where there's a sort of what are they talking about? And they're just trying to get publicity for themselves. I think overwhelmingly it's seen as sort of creepy behaviour, inappropriate behaviour, and there's a dislike for it. I don't think the me too thing, I think is, you know, women are talking about that all the time and and, and sharing experiences, etc. I haven't heard a lot of discussion about it by men and I don't think men quite get that experience about what might have happened to you 10 years ago or 20 years ago still sits with you is a form of trauma affects how how you see yourself in the world what power you might have there's a a brilliant comedian here in Australia Hannah Gadsby who's just done a, a show that's won all these awards around the world that really goes to that sort of core issue of the damage that those sort of experiences as a young woman can have, you know, 20, 30 years later, it's, you know, still absolutely affects your identity. And I, and that's the bit I think men don't get, you know, there's often a, well, get over it, you know, it happened 20 years ago, move on. But I think in terms of the sort of celebrities and the abuse of power, one of the good things about Australian culture is that egalitarianism is very important. So the idea, you know, the sort of tall poppy syndrome in Australia. People don't like people with a whole lot of power who are lording it over others. So I think there's a closer affinity with everybody about that. But, yeah, a little bit less understanding of the idea of Me Too campaign. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think it can be hard for them to get because they're not experiencing the power differential. Exactly. I told Linda it didn't sound like she agreed with my last guest that the current focus on men's misdeeds and everything women have been putting up with, that it's pitting men and women against each other. Look, I think it's, you know, it's always, I think an element of that is true in that it it shouldn't be about a battle about men and women. And this is, I think, where two young women and modern women are very alienated by that They see that as a a sort of historical battle of the sexes and they're really not interested in that. And she says, sure, it isn't helpful to start blaming all men or identifying all women as victims. So I I agree with that. But I I also think, you know, not naming it and not naming how ubiquitous the whole everyday sexism is 
and the fact that often in terms of sexual harassment, overwhelmingly the perpetrators have been men. Now, not all men, obviously, and not most men, a small cohort, and it's got to do with power. And I think that's the interesting thing that's coming out with this celebrity thing is that it's, you know, there's a lot of people faced with everyday sexism, but where it gets really ugly is when it's combined with that power. And she says that's the great thing about all the media attention on this topic, including the social media outcry. It's bringing a magnifying glass to the power imbalance between the sexes. And so what can be done to shift that? And that's ultimately a deeper and harder question rather than a couple of individual men behaving inappropriate. It's the fact that people knew about it, they got away with it, they got away with it for a long time because they were in positions of power. She hopes that power will become more evenly distributed between men and women, not in 50 years, but in five or ten. But what we still don't know is whether the current reckoning will have any effect on women in blue-collar jobs, who have far more to lose by accusing a harasser. That debate has yet to take place. That's the broad experience for this time. Thanks to Linda Betts and Laura Linnaeus for being my guests on this show. As usual, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on the show's Facebook page, where we've had a lot of good discussions about this topic recently. You can tweet me at Ashley Milne-Tite, or you can email me via the website. I will bring you one more show before the end of the year. After that, I'll pop up again at the end of January. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.